The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Elaine? Is that you? Hi, Sam. I changed my name. I changed it to Ginger. You look great. It's good to see you again. What are you doing here? I live here. Uh, thanks. This is Zone 7, right? You guys, this is my old boyfriend, Sam. Now, Scoot, huh? We got some catching up to do, right, Sam? Tell me what you've been doing. Listen, I was with someone, and we got Shanghai. The next thing I know, I, I wake up here. Was anyone found with me when I was brought here? I don't know anything about it. Though Les said that you were the only one left alive. Oh, Sam, I just love it out here. The city was just so much bull. I'm a whole different person now. I feel so secure. I feel focused, like I never felt before. Les really likes you, Sam. It's great the way you have this rapport with him right off the bat. The man is a psychopathic killer. Don't impose your values on me, Sam. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, October 24th, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Welcome to the show today. We're 519-661-3600 is the number to call. And you can always reach us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And boy, are we going to have a show for you today. I think it's going to be one of those shows where we can expect the unexpected. Would you say, Robert? I think we make, may make some news today. Um, and one of the, we're going to be talking about a number of subjects. Of course, John Grayson and London, Londoner Tariq Lubani have returned from Egypt. We have Malala being overlooked for the Nobel Peace Prize, London, Ontario. Is it really a hotbed for Islamist indoctrination? What about that mural on Jared Street Mosque in Toronto? And some solutions to the appeasement mentality. And Robert, we have a guest to join us in our conversation today. Do you care to do the honors? Sure thing, Bob. On the line we have Tarek Fata in Toronto. He's a columnist for the Toronto Sun, radio host at CFRB 1010 in Toronto, founder of the Muslim Canadian Congress, author of The Jew is Not My Enemy, unveiling the myth that fuels Muslim anti-Semitism, and a self-described social democrat who left the NDP after 17 years, for apparently they're opening the door to Islamists. Welcome to the show today, Tarek. Well, thank you for having me. Now, it seems that... I, I still vote NDP sometimes. Oh, do you? <laughs> very, very good. Actually, we just had a power outage here. I hope that uh, we're going to be okay. Um, welcome to the show. And it seems to, uh, seems to me that, Tarek, that on more than one occasion, I'm thinking here of the Muslim Canadian Congress, the NDP, the Liberal Party, um, you've joined and supported organizations that have turned away from the traditional liberal secular values and have come to, what, would you say, appease radical Islam in their opening and embrace? Them? Is that a fair assessment? I think it's uh, multiple factors. The, the political parties or the institutions themselves have no such policy. Um, but uh, in the absence of any policy, um, there's a level of mediocrity that the left has sunk to. Uh, 
and uh, easy answers are sought. So uh, instead of understanding the threat that we face, uh, which I consider to be already, uh, we are in the first phase of the uh, an international war against Western civilization, the left uh, has uh, not yet understood the phenomena that it faces, and the right, on the other hand, has uh, uh, taken a position which is which they are very comfortable with, which is xenophobia. So this suits the <laughs> suits our enemies so well that uh, I, when I look back into the First World War, the Second, or the Spanish Civil War, or the Cold War, I find no time where the possible victims of an aggression are so naive and so ignorant about the frightening, uh, you know, storm uh, on the horizon. Now, is it is it possible that conservatives are getting labeled as xenophobic? Isn't that a danger that anybody who takes up a banner against radical Islam is going to face, no matter what side of the spectrum they're on? I don't think so. The, uh, the problem is uh, that the right wing uh, at the present stage, the conservative elements of Western society are correct. But the track record is so bad uh, that uh, if you just go back 10, 15 years, they were in bed with the Islamists because they shared uh, uh, homophobia with them. They were pro-life, uh, uh, for lack of a better word. They wanted religion in schools. And so I remember the uh, mid-90s when uh, my, my friend Michael Corn used to speak on tours with the very people who today would consider him to be uh, not a savory person. Now, so, about, mm -hmm. sorry, the track record uh, in anti-immigration, anti-civil rights, uh, pro-segregation, uh, uh, that's the burden the right wing carries into this debate. Now, the fact remains that the analysis to a certain degree is correct, that Islamism or Islamofascism is, uh, uh, is a real danger to our, our, our civilization, but you need credibility to be believed by the broader uh, people in the middle who just want to get on with their lives and who are not involved politically. Mm -hmm. Now, Tarek, you, you seem to have painted what would be a perfect storm for what you call our enemies, this, this left wing that doesn't seem to understand the problem, this right wing that seems to be getting in, into Islamophobia. Um, I, I know in your own conversations, I've heard you in past um, interviews, for example, here locally on some of the stations in town, I recall you saying that if you get into the details about the whole Islam issue, that even you, you yourself get accused of, of Islamophobia, or as you put it, as a, as a racist or self-hating Muslim. Um, isn't that... Who's, who's driving that kind of part of the agenda? Is that coming from them, or is that being actually manipulated from somewhere else? Well, it doesn't have to be manipulated from anywhere else. Every mosque in Canada is funded by the Saudis. There isn't a mosque uh, in London or Toronto that has not received uh, funding from some uh, Saudi source agency. Uh, the number of hostile takeovers of properties where a community starts a mosque and then they run out of money for mortgages and then in comes the, the typical takeover uh, guys 
who uh, rescued the mosque, put in their imam, and there goes the family that started it. And uh, they don't need any guidance from outside. Most of the folks running the agenda were born in Canada. They speak fluent English. They dress up quite well. Even the hijabs are absolutely stunning from France. Uh, the red lipsticks, the blue mascaras, the stilettos, the canal suits they wear. Um, uh, look at England, where one of the top debaters in the country is a hardcore radical jihadi uh, by, the na- uh, by the name of Mahdi Hassan. He does a show from Oxford University sponsored by Al Jazeera. But he speaks such fluent British English, accented English, that... Well, nobody who speaks with a British accent can ever be considered to be illiterate or wrong. Now, Tarek, um, we just uh, here in London welcomed a new imam to uh, one of the mosques here who's born in Canada, as you say, in Calgary, uh, but he was trained in Saudi Arabia for six years. Should we be concerned? Of course you should be. Of course you should be. Mm -hmm. One of the most medieval apartheid written uh, hostile to women hostile to black people one of the most racist states that exist on earth is providing training to Canada's imam and you lived there didn't you in Saudi Arabia for oh, a time I was there 10 years mm-hmm. and mind you I mean I'm, I'm a student of the Quran and uh, Islamic law so uh, I'm no white liberal who would uh, run away in guilt uh, to face these uh, mobsters. I know the smiling faces. I know what I can tell you from the glint in their eyes that they're looking 200 years from now while you guys are just looking at the next ball game. Well, that's an interesting observation. You know, London, I have been told, London, Ontario, has the highest, um, is this true, the percentage of Muslims living in the city than in any other city in I the think country? As, as, as a proportion, yes. mm-hmm. um, uh, it, 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 as a metropolitan area, it has the largest proportion of Muslims uh, per capita than any other city. And uh, it has a large number of um, Muslims who uh, came here very early on, settled in that area. And they have universities that are... Uh, hotbeds of uh, Muslim Brotherhood support. I understand we're sitting in the middle of one now. Is that true here at the University of Western Ontario? Of course it is. <laughs> it is, is it? <laughs> now, you've actually you said... ask my friend uh, Salim Mansour how it is. I, 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 I well, we've asked him. <laughs> He's been a guest on our show several times, yes, indeed. <laughs> now, Tarek, um, what about your opinion of, for example, Dr. Tarek Labani comes from London. He went over to Egypt to get into Gaza uh, under what I consider personally to be rather suspicious reasons. So he said it was for humanitarian aid. Um, oh, your your thoughts on that? <laughs> what humanitarian aid? What sort of a person says, oh, let me see, who needs aid? Uh, next door guy? No. Uh, let me go to maybe the Azores in the middle of the ocean. No, no, no. I won't go there. <laughs> Let's find out some of the poor people living in the neighbor, uh, the suburbs of Paris. Not at all. What about the Western Sahara refugees? One million of them living behind the longest uh, uh, earthen barrier that the Moroccans have created since their occupation of Western Sahara. No. Tariq Lubani doesn't give a damn 
about anyone suffering other than where this suffering could lead to depicting of the Jews as essentially uh, uh, inhuman people. Any idea why he, have, he would have drone helicopters in his luggage? What? Why, yeah. why? Why won't he have that? No, he had a, he what? had robotic helicopters and surveillance. Oh, yes, equipment. I know. Yeah. I'm quite aware. I'm quite aware of that. The Bob didn't appearance. Well, <laughs> what to take to make a movie with or something? Wasn't he making? Oh, <laughs> give me a break! Uh, I mean, please. Uh, 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 I'm not a CBC correspondent to be fooled by this nonsense <laughs> or or fall in love with people. Uh, who go on guerrilla tourism, you know. Well, you, you uh, the, this upper-middle-class fantasy of seeing young Muslim men go to battle, uh, this has got nothing to do with it. You are, these guys are obsessed with anti-Semitism. Look at, look at his partner, a gay Canadian professor, goes to Cairo. Both of them have nothing to say about a gay Canadian who is in prison there for the last, uh, for, for, uh, in prison for 15 years sentence, accused as an Israeli spy. Nobody's heard of him. Well, these guys get out. That sucker still stays there. That's what I call his white privilege. And, of course, you, you have been very vocal about um, um, accepting homosexuals as well. So, I mean, your, well, your comments course, are not... I mean, I, I, mean I, 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 I ran on a, 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 the platform of civil union in 1995 on the NDP ticket. Mm -hmm. I, my, uh, I'm a, a promoter of gay marriage, uh, and I, I find that uh, Muslim societies that still propagate the death of gays uh, need not have diplomatic relations with the Western world. So, so it's reasonable to question why Mr. Grayson would go to such a, a place that has such hatred for a homosexual man. It depends who you hate more, gays or Jews. Ah, I see. <laughs> you know, th there's a hierarchy of hate. I mean, <laughs> uh, some people hate black, some people hate Indian folks, some people hate Chinese. There's an entire hierarchy within our society of who we have contempt for. And there is general acceptance uh, in large segments of Western Christian population uh, where their traditional European anti-Semitism uh, today gets respectability when it's covered by the facade of pro-Palestinian activity. They don't give a damn about what happens to the Palestinians. It's the Jews they can demonize. That is so significant. And you can get away with it by being very pious. Now, why does why does a, a practicing Muslim need to have a mosque in the first place? If these places are simply, I think you've called before, hotbeds of radicalism, why do we? Why does a Muslim need a mosque if he he doesn't even he doesn't need one to pray? Well, a mosque, a mosque traditionally is a community center. Mm -hmm. I uh, I went to a mosque every day all my childhood, but I went there to pray and I went there to play cricket. I went there to learn. Uh, my imam, when Islam was a completely different religion in the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. even taught me how to climb a tree and get the, uh, the ripest mango from the neighbor's house and come down and we would all sit together and <laughs> eat it. A, a mosque was a place where people went for uh, prayer, relaxation, fun, chatting. Uh, it has become a political hotbed. Taken and over by the Saudis. 
No, I, I do. I think that's the easy way out. I think this is uh, this radical uh, uh, politicization of Islam uh, comes from Egypt and the Muslim Brotherhood. The South. That's why the Saudis are also afraid of the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. The Saudis are primarily interested in buying out the buy, uh, bad guys and keeping them away and sending them away to fight their wars elsewhere. So you never have a jihadi inside uh, Saudi Arabia. You will always find bin Laden's in Afghanistan or Algeria or Somalia. These are very smart guys. The, the fellows who run the Arabian Peninsula and uh, uh, still wear, uh, you know, long frocks uh, from the 8th century thinking that makes them very pious. Hmm. Uh, They've simply bought off all the goons and sent them elsewhere. Well, actually, we're going to break for a clip now, and I think you're going to find this very interesting. Yes, and, and Bob, and, do you want to set it up? Yeah, and before we do, I just want to take a moment to thank um, AM980 Radio's Andrew Lawton for his kind permission to replay the following audio bites from his own radio show that aired just about a month ago on September 24th on AM980. Now, on this side of the bumper, we're going to hear a short call in its entirety made by a caller named Abdul. And on the other side of the bumper, we'll hear a short call, um, edited down to be short, from a caller named Mohammed. And uh, you can hear the original full call uh, on our website later when we'll post it. So let's listen in, and then we'll continue our discussion with our guest, Tarek Fatah, in about two and a half minutes. We'll be right back. Abdul, what do you think? The American dog was an invader. He was a freedom fighter. There's a difference. If uh, Russian or Chinese dogs invaded Canada, and you kill one of them, are you are you are you a commander or are you defending your country? So, do you think that uh, Al Qaeda connected terrorists represent Afghanistan? Yes. Anybody who kills an invader is a freedom fighter. Anybody who kills an invader is a freedom fighter. American dogs invaded a sovereign nation. Tell me, do you support the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas? <laughs> you wait, my friend. You wait. You will see things in this country. You. Yes or no, Abdul, do you support Hamas? Yes, I do. Okay. There's your true colors right there. Thank you for your call. Um, I just want to start off by saying um, these are beliefs that are not just, like, it's not just this man who believes this. But these are beliefs that are implanted in the Islamic religion. Um, I was born a Muslim. I came to Canada when I was uh, 16 years old. I had these beliefs already. I was raised to believe these beliefs already, right? But these beliefs are in the hearts of every Muslim out there. That is no question. I did not change my beliefs until I became a Christian about two years ago. That was when I really began to see the truth about terrorism. Uh, Muslims see terrorism as um, defending their land, defending their religion, defending their faith, defending everything they believe in. 
And I guarantee you that what what Abdul said, they see um, America and the West as being the terrorists. So I don't want it to be like, I'm surprised that you guys are surprised that these views are out there. And these views are all over Canada. Are these views all over Canada, Tarek? Uh, anyone who is deeply religious within my faith is infected by these beliefs. The good news is that 90% of Muslims don't go to mosques. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let, let me put it this way. 60% of Muslims around the world are illiterate, so they can't read anything. 80% of Muslims do not speak or read or write Arabic, which means that there is a very select, narrow band of people who are qualified or are enabled to carry out the political ambitions of the Muslim Brotherhood in the West. Now, combine that fact with the inherent built-in racism within um, uh, political Islam, which puts the Arab at the top and the black man at the bottom, it renders large segments of the population with an inferiority complex that suggests, well, I don't know anything. And that imam giving the sermon in a fancy hat and a long gown, speaking fluent Arabic, must know more than I do. That's where the danger is. So, uh, I, I keep repeating this. You don't treat malaria by shooting mosquitoes. You drain the swamps. Mm -hmm. It's easy. But we want to make, in the West we are trying, to make money out of the very wars that we are fighting. So the easy thing that can be done, let me give you a couple of examples. No Pakistani military general or senior officer should be allowed to take residence anywhere in North America. Very simple. Doesn't cost us anything. But they each bring about a million dollars each to buy homes, which they rip off from their countries. Those military officers come deeply imbibed in the notion of jihad against uh, um, uh, the infidel, which is you guys, right? Mm -hmm. But they come from Sandhurst, so they speak fluent English, they dress up correctly. They wear the right suits. They drive the Mercedes-Benz uh, in Mississauga, in London, Ontario. So you feel that they are the moderates. And who does the West think is a radical? Is a cab driver. Who is not? It's an upside-down world in which money is being made to fight the enemy, knowing that if the war is won, the money would stop be being made. That's a fascinating observation, Tarek. You talk, um, you've talked before about a problem you had with the Toronto police where you actually went to make a complaint and um, it ended up that you were the person under interrogation. Do you want to give us a, yeah. a, an idea of what happened there? Because at the end of it, you said that the Toronto police are serving and protecting the radical Islamist elements within the city of Toronto. Oh, I think it's not just the Toronto police. I think it's the London police. It's the RCMP. Mm -hmm. It is the Ontario Provincial Police. They're the top, uh, it's not so, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy here. Here's how it happens. You want to get promoted to the senior level, you need to go through the diversity committee. 
what is diversity today in uh, in Canada? Diversity means having someone who has a beard and goes to a mosque <laughs> and plays soccer with you. Diversity doesn't mean uh, you are engaging uh, deprived inner city kids and making the uh, helping them out to be first class police officers. And in doing so, when I uh, first got the threat, this is a few years ago, this is my first experience, I was hauled into the police station, put on a video recorder with, uh, with, a, uh, with an officer watching my eyes, recording me whether I was telling the truth or not. And you were the person making the complaint about this twet, uh, threat from Twitter? Oh, yeah. No, no, this is long before Twitter oh. was even invented. Okay. This is when I had a phone call saying that, Tariq Fatah, you and Farzana Hassan, we will slit your throats and we will ma- you will pay for what you're doing. And I don't usually go to the cops, but this time, because it involved a friend of mine who's, uh, you know, she was terrified, her home was attacked with eggs and all, she lives in Misaka, I did go there. They never did anything except determine whether my complaint was true or not, despite the fact they had the phone call. Nobody ever went there. When I was in hospital, on Twitter, a, wom- uh, uh, a woman said, we know where you live, what your address is, you piece of sh- shit is the word she used in Somali. And all I did was ask the cops to look into it. When the two officers who were investigating this, in my hospital room, 24 hours after a spinal surgery, in walks an intelligence officer, tells these two to leave the room and takes over the investigation. Turns out to be he's a Muslim police officer. And instead of finding out what I uh, what was the threat to me, they met with the woman, determined she was not over 18, and told her that she has the right to file a complaint under the Child Advocacy Act or whatever it is for exposing someone below 18 and putting the picture on public. Amazing. This is where we are today. Now, that is infiltration of the Toronto police by somebody who is obviously um, sympathetic to radical Islam. What about your own organization that you you originally started, although I think you've left it by now, the Muslim Canadian Congress? Has that been infiltrated by Islamists as well? Uh, No, no. (laughs) That's very simple. Uh, That's what I'm saying. The fight is so simple uh, to win. We don't take anyone who doesn't believe in the separation of religion and state. Are you still a member of MCC? I am. I I am not actively sort of involved, but mm. uh, I'm on their board, and uh, it's very simple. And what we can't afford to do, we don't do. But we don't take money from anyone, and therefore, uh, our our work is uh, n- not beholden to any group that funds so many of these so-called progressive organizations uh, led by charming um, uh, quote-unquote moderate Muslims uh, primarily sometimes turns out to be women or converts from Islam who want to be Christian. It's, It's an industry, my friends. People have milked money out of the tragedy that has fallen on the Western world for 12 years. We are making money out of fighting an enemy and then paying the enemy $20 billion to screw us up. 
Your thoughts on another organization um, calling itself secular, um, Muslims Facing Tomorrow, your thoughts on that one? Is that is that a, a positive move for moderate Muslims in Canada? I, I, well, they can... I mean, they're doing what they have to do. It won't bear fruit because once an organization's aim is to get funded, that's the death of that organization. And uh, I wish them well. They're all former uh, friends from the Muslim Canadian Congress who mm -hmm. b believe that there are better ways to do it. And um, good luck to them. I doubt it very much if they'll get any mileage. Because in essence, uh, uh, the fight we face is not about interfaith dialogue or meeting Jewish and Christian and Hindu groups and holding arms together and singing hymns. And it is a deeply political process that we are fighting, reducing it to some, uh, the uh, of different religious communities coming together is absolutely an addiction that everyone, uh, no one will be able to say, oh, that's something we shouldn't do. Let's share parking lots as if uh, uh, the war we are fighting is over uh, commercial real estate. Hmm. Now, isn't we there... Isn't there uh, another dimension to this, especially starting here in the West? I mean, it's one thing to say that 80% of certain populations, you know, cannot read Arabic or 60% are illiterate. But here in the West, we have a growing population of, of homegrown, homegrown people who are falling into this trap, if you want to put it that way. What is motivating them to get involved with this? Uh, 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 like, how does one, what, what would motivate a young person to get involved who ha already has seen the benefits of living in Western culture? Why would he, he or she move towards this direction? He or she firmly believes that life on Earth is like staying in a transit lounge at Heathrow Airport. He or she is interested in catching the connecting flight to paradise. This is not about Stalin or Hitler trying to rule the world. This is about people saying we need to destroy this world so we can get on and reach a final destination and life begins after death. We're dealing with a fascist group that is a death cult. And as long as we don't understand that phenomena. That why is it that the children of someone who fled the violence of Pakistan would, at UFT or University of Western Ontario, try to mimic themselves as warriors of Islam? It is very difficult for a Western observer to understand why. Pakistan is the only country on earth, and the children of Pakistani immigrants are the only people who are the gun fodder of this supremacy. Because it comes from a, a country that has no, that denies its ancestry and heritage. It's like France saying it's not a European country. You don't find Iranian hijackers. When did you last run into a Turkish extremist uh, speaking, or an Indonesian student? Speaking of Pakistan. Oh, sorry, Tariq, go ahead. It's almost 90% of every terrorist, every major terror event is linked to Pakistan. 
And I'm sorry, just what I was uh, going to segue into that, because of um, Pakistan being a hotbed for radical Islam, uh, Islamists, especially with the Taliban now moving in there, uh, we're going to hear at the bottom of the hour now a, a clip from um, John Stewart on The Daily Show, his interview with Malala Yousafzai. And I know that you're very familiar with Malala since you've actually put out a petition, uh, failed unfortunately, for um, Malala to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. But we're going to take a break, and if you want to have a listen to what she has to say, and there'll be a couple of promos in here as well, uh, when we come back, I'd like your, your thoughts on Malala Yousafzai. Welcome back, my guest tonight. She's an advocate for girls' access to education worldwide, is the youngest person ever to be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Her new book is called... I am Malala, the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. Please welcome to the program, Malala Yousafzai. Uh, I am uh, Malala. You are 16. Where did your love for education come from? Um, we are human beings, and this is the part of our, of our human nature that we don't learn the importance of anything until it's snatched from our hands. And when, in Pakistan, when we were stopped from going to school, at that time, I realized that education is very important, and education is the power for women. And that's why the terrorists are afraid of education. They do not want women to get education, because then women would become more powerful. When did the Taliban come to Swat Valley? The Taliban came in 2004, but at that time they were quite good. They did not show their, their the terrorism and they did not blast any school at that time. But they started the real terrorism in 2007. They have blasted more than 400 schools in Swat. They have slaughtered people. And in the month of January 2009, they, they used to slaughter even two, three people every night. And they have flogged women. We have seen the barbaric situation of the 21st century. And we have seen like the, 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 the cruelty. And we have seen harsh days in our life. And those we regarded as the darkest days of our life. Our freedom was taken from us. Yes. The women's freedom. We could not go to market. We were not allowed to go to school. We were just kept imprisoned. We were just limited to the four walls of our house. Women's, women's rights were denied at that time. And that's why I spoke. Because I believe in equality. And I believe that there is no difference between a man and a woman. I even believe that a woman is more powerful than men. What? Wait, whoa, wait, what? What? I, wait. Malala, <laughs> this was going so well. <laughs> and in my opinion, the solution that would work to fight all these wars and all these problems that people are facing is only education. Because you can, you can stop war for a second, but you don't know it would start again or not. And the best way to fight against this war is education because, as we can see, that children are suffering from terrorism, they are suffering from child labor and child trafficking. They are also suffering from the culture, norms and tradition. These are, there is not only one issue that we are facing through, there are many others as well. So I think education is the best way. People would be thinking, just going to school, learning about chemistry and physics and maths, and that's it. Going to school is not only learning about different subjects, it 
teaches you communication, it teaches you how to live a life, it teaches you about history, it teaches you about how science is working. And other than that, you learn about equality because students are provided the same benches, they sit equally, they, it shows us equality, it teaches students how to, how to live with others together, how to accept each other's language, how to accept each other's traditions and each other's religion. It also teaches us justice, it also teaches us respect, it, it, it teaches us how to live together. So that's why I support and I want people to support us in this cause. And through Malala Foundation, we want to work for education of girls in, de uh, in the developing countries, especially in Syria now. They are suffering, they are homeless now. We want to help children in Afghanistan because they have been suffering from terrorism for decades. So I think issues and problems are enormous, but solution is one and that is simple. That is education. Welcome back to Just Right on CHW 94.9 FM, where you can join our conversation at 519-661-3600. And that was uh, a little clip from uh, The Daily Show and John Stewart interviewing Malala Yousafzai. And we have on the line with us Tarek Fatah in Toronto. Tarek, your thoughts on Malala? Uh, you know, I, I, I was instrumental in, in, in starting a petition that gathered half a million signatures around the world for her to win a Nobel Prize. Unfortunately, this brilliant woman, young girl, I would say, has now become a spokesperson for the NGOs. Let, let me uh, put it in, because all her interviews before she went to the UK and was taken over by her book publisher and the public relations company was about freedom. Now she talks about education. Mm -hmm. I talked to her dad. I said, do you realize that Oxford University has produced more radical Muslims that have come home to Pakistan to slit the throat of Daniel Pearl? That in UFT, in York University, education is producing some of the most radical people. That within Pakistan, it is only the educated who are radical, while the illiterate and the uneducated are fairly liberal and secular. And this is so contradictory to conventional wisdom that people just uh, get arrested and freeze. I don't know. Imagine, here's what's happening. Three million dollars for a book. George, uh, what's his name, the former prime minister of Britain on board. Instead of asking for boys and girls to going to school, Muslims and Hindus, blacks and whites sitting together, which is the issue? The issue is not education. 100% literate society of London, Ontario is producing the Tariq Lubanis of this world. Whereas you go to places in the villages of Balochistan, which is under Pakistani occupation, the most secular, liberal, uh, enlightened people today have 80% illiteracy in, in, and they're fighting a war against the occupation of the land by the Pakistan army. My, what I'm suggesting to you is any solution that comes out of a think tank which is based in Washington or London or Berlin or Paris is going, and which has a profit motive is not going to bring you a solution. You wasted 12 years fighting bin Laden, and in five years we beat Hitler. Nobody went after the Nazis saying, we need to educate them. We went after them 
them saying, we will eliminate them. And we defeated them. Also in that conversation with uh, Malala, I didn't put it in the clip, but she talked about a rather pacifist um, philosophy where she, she would say that if a Talib came towards her, she would say, do as you will. In other words, Look, she would I'm not fight not. back. And, and I found no, no, that... No, no, no. That's not what she used to say. Mm -hmm. This is coming from the public relations company. Is that right? This is what's happening. This is what destroys our politicians. People being paid $100,000 a year to write speeches for politicians who know what to say. Why do you think Rob Ford is so popular? He speaks naturally. Why do you think uh, 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 other people can't do this? I'm just giving that as an example. You look at the interviews of Malala Yousafzai on CNN and BBC before she left Pakistan. Trust me, she had more freedom in Pakistan than she has here. What, which Western journalist is going to ask Malala Yousafzai, when do you think you'll have a boyfriend? Or do you have any friend? The answer is no. When you surround such a brilliant girl, such a courageous, charismatic, naturally God-gifted zeal to fight radicals, and you encase her with handlers, who makes sure that no one can meet her, trust her, no one can meet her, unless they pay, unless they get a feed. How do you think she got on to news channels in the Western world, but not a single Chinese, Indian, uh, African, Russian, nowhere else? She was not allowed to speak to any newspaper in Pakistan by the public relations company that handles it. This is why we are losing the war against jihadi terrorism because there are a number of middlemen who are making money out of this war and do not want the war to end. Your thoughts now on her being overlooked for the Nobel Peace Prize? I felt very sad. I think she deserved it. Yeah. And uh, because uh, in essence, she is, uh, she's a Joan of Arc. I've, I am very deeply hurt not only by Nobel rejecting her, but by the corporate entities that have taken over her life, stolen her childhood, deprived her of friendship of her peers, and have ensured that she will never ever be allowed to fall in love with someone she wants to. Imagine the tragedy of a 16-year-old who said, your duty is now to keep producing more money for your foundation and not to go to the movies, not to go to your school and uh, chat around or eat a hamburger or just go, uh, you know, um, places and go to a party. What sort of world are we creating where Malala Yousafzai cannot go to a movie? The, uh, <clears throat> the Nobel Peace Prize eventually went to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, was overlooking Malala, and I, I know you're laughing, for the same reason I am, was overlooking Malala for the Nobel Prize, yet another example of the West fearing reprisal from radical Islamists, and it's awarding to the OPCW, it seems to be f uh, actually favoring the Al-Qaeda Muslim Brotherhood-backed <laughs> opponents of Bashar al-Assad. <laughs> you see, what is really funny is this is the first time that old men 
all white men, a whole group of Norwegians scared to hell that if they give the award to Malala, Taliban will attack them. Trust me, I can read into the behavior of these cowards. They rewarded someone who admitted to failure. Mm -hmm. If at all, the chemical weapons of Syria should, uh, the finding and destruction of the chemical weapons need to be, um, uh, need to have triggered a Nobel Prize, it should have gone to Mr. Putin, as ugly as this sounds. But he is the guy who inst- was instrumental in saying to America, you can't bomb uh, Syria because we want Assad, but in the bargain, we'll destroy all the chemical weapons. It is not these bureaucrats and scientists making $200,000 a year sitting in United Nations offices who went there to deserve a Nobel Prize. Tarek, when I look back at some old news reels or videos or even movies that came out of Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran even, from the 50s and the 60s, I see um, a, a burgeoning modern society. Um, what the hell happened to those countries, to your country? The, the 1973 war between uh, Israel and Egypt triggered the oil boom that empowered some of the nastiest, illiterate brigands, pirates of this world to assume hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars into the back pockets. And those are the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Emirates, uh, who, by the way, are the allies of Canada and the United Mm -hmm. States. Okay? That is one thing. The entire movement within the Muslim world to embrace rationalism, to embrace Rousseau and Voltaire and John Adams and Karl Marx or Che Guevara, everything is from the West. Whether you were a Trotskyite or you were a capitalist or you believed in the conservatives or the NDP or the CCF, every idea was coming from the West. That's the golden century of Islam from 1850 to 1950, which no one has written about. But that's the only time Muslims came out of the woodwork, threw over the caliphs and the sultans, and said, we are going to university as men and women. We are going to learn that the earth doesn't revolve around the sun. Those are the tremendous jumps, leaps in faith in science and philosophy that we took. But as a result of the Cold War and the, in, in the late 70s, the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini coming back, thank goodness to the West, France, that transported him back to stop a socialist revolution from taking place, mm-hmm. to put General Ziaul Haq to murder Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto again, Cyrus Vance and Kissinger trying to teach Pakistan a lesson, and the Afghan war under Mr. Carter and Zhubinsky. All of this comes back at the feet of semi-educated uh, Western academics and politicians who are not even a shadow of Roosevelt or JFK, who have destroyed their own uh, backyards in an attempt to use someone else to fight and defeat communism. And we're, we're all paying the price for that. 
We certainly are, and uh, I guess we're, we're heading into the final quarter of our show now, and we're just going to break away for another two minutes to listen in on a conversation with Christine Williams, uh, um, Paul McKeever of the Freedom Party and Ijaz of a um, Muslim group that was uh, interviewed back on 2011, June 11th, and uh, they, they're taking this debate a little higher now to the big picture debate, the whole issue of democracy and uh, democracy being introduced into the whole Islamic world. Is that even possible? Let's listen in on this and we'll continue the conversation as we return. Well, you know, the, the democratic front, I mean, we talked about freedom of speech, that's kind of the political front, but the democratic front um, is the ballot box. And I think when Geert Wilders says, you know, we've got to limit or, or uh, stop immigration from Islamic countries, what he's concerned about is numbers. Uh, Mark Stein, his book, uh, America Alone, is, it's about the, the, the demography and, you know, the number of people voting in favor of theocracy uh, could grow to the point where democracy itself would have been voted out of existence. So. I think, clearly, with the majority of Muslims in Canada not following every you know, dotted I and every cross T out of the, out of the Quran, uh, we've got to support them in that. But with the people who are coming over who are not used to that sort of Western lifestyle, we have to do more to make sure that uh, our, our democracy is protected. Now we need to be very careful not to demonize all Muslims, because even yeah. Gert Wilders had said, this is not something we do. If somebody considers themselves a moderate, he believes that the Quran calls for violence, that we need to support them all the way. But I have had guests on my show, moderates, that advocate our democracy, and they do face death threats. They do face it. it it's right. not an isolated incident. They face constant threats, they face harassments, and this should not be going on in our democracy. There's clearly a problem. I Jazz? Yeah. Uh, absolutely, I will repeat the same thing, that there, there's no room for violence for anybody and towards anybody. So that's, that's out of question, that if you attach it to any religion, that would be injustice. And uh, the, the, coming back to the, the freedom uh, we are talking about, uh, just to make a point, by the way, logically, if everybody says here, it fa favors some, uh, 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 some issue or uh, some, uh, s some law, you don't have a choice. This, this is democracy. And uh, I, I disagree with, uh, with Paul in the sense that, you know, if, if majority of the people living in a country favor something and that democracy okay, will be out of... that's a critical uh, point. It's an interesting one. But you see, even what Terry Jones said, I think it's abhorrent what he did. You, you, don't, you don't burn a Koran to provoke people. However, it still is democratic right. And the fact that people will be afraid for their life for doing this, when the Bible gets burnt in other countries, it, it gets spat on, it gets used as toilet paper, why are people having to face fear for their lives if they decide to do something that might offend Islam. Because the government is not coming to their aid. It's not defending their life, their liberty and their property. It's saying we must appease those who would use violence against us. I think our politicians are failing us. I think our governments are failing us. And we need people that will stand up and say no. There it is. Uh, Tarek, any thoughts on what you just heard there? <laughs> I was uh, paying more attention to my co-religionist, uh, Mr. Ijaz. Actually, he brought, he brought up a great point there, didn't he? Well, here's the issue which he missed completely. Certain universal values are not up for debate. They are embedded in our constitutions. You can't 
Uh, you can't even get the death penalty back in Canada. You, you can't bring back slavery because most people want it. This is certain issues of human liberty and freedom predate democracy. The French Revolution was not about the right to vote for everyone. For heaven's sake, people didn't vote almost 100 years after that. It was for liberty, equality, and freedom. We've put the cart behind the horse. Well, it, democracy, it's a- does, democracy doesn't come, uh, 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 doesn't provide liberty. It is a quest for liberty that triggers democracy. Fascinating. That's, uh, you, I think I could concur with that. <laughs> now, you know, people in America didn't all get the right to vote, but they got the right to be free. Now, and I, I tell you the notion, ancient, one of the most ancient Indian uh, texts, I forget the name right now, talks about uh, a play written for the gods where the demons get upset because the actors are making fun of the demons. And the gods then come on stage and say, on stage, the speaker has the freedom to insult anyone. And the gods will protect the right of the people to make fun of us. And we mm. are talking, I mean, Mr. Jaz obviously sounded from India or Pakistan, which is the same uh, you know, place. We've forgotten what is human liberty. I don't want anyone to burn the Quran, but I will defend someone who is being attacked because he burnt the Quran. Human life is more precious than any religious text ever written dictated by anyone on earth can we talk about solutions now Terry what what should what should we be doing we should be very simply fighting the ideological wars we should be able to say what JFK said when he talked about armies that do not come by day by declaration of war if we are facing enemies that are already here. And the only way we can fight this if we are not apologetic about what we have accomplished after 400 years of our struggles in Europe and North America. Someone has to say what Prime Minister Harper said when he was asked, what is the threat we face? And he used the wrong word, but he, he said Islamicism, where he should have said Islamism. Yes. And no one else in the Western world has had the guts. And I don't vote conservative, by the way. I'm supporting Linda uh, McQuaig here in <laughs> Toronto Centre. So don't... I'm just being honest about yes. Mr. Harper knowing what he's doing. And other leaders, especially... Uh, a disappointing performance by uh, both Presidents Bush and his uh, successor, President Obama, who have wasted enormous, precious years of our lives placating and appeasing the moneylenders that live in Saudi Arabia. Should we be attacking the official multiculturalist policy of Canada when that policy has turned into more of a moral relativistic, cultural relativistic policy where all cultures are equal when clearly they are not? Well, that would be the easy way to do it. We are not facing threat from Confucianism. No. There is no alarm coming from 
hordes of Hindus invading <laughs> North America. No. Even the worst Tamil tiger has no ambitions of destroying Western civilization. So, so name your enemy. My enemy and your enemy is Islamofascism, which is the equivalent and worse than what the Nazis were threatening or what Stalin or Mao. But if they come were. into Canada uh, as sheeps in wolf's, uh, wolf and sheep's clothing, how do we oh, protect they ourselves? They're not coming here. That's what you're misunderstanding. Oh. They are born here. Mm-hmm. Who's coming here? Well, who's teaching them? Who's teaching them? The imams that are imported from Saudi Arabia who are born here, sent over there, and are coming back. Should we ban them from entering the country? I would say nobody who's educated in Saudi Arabia should be allowed to do anything in this country. How dare a medieval monstrosity like Saudi Arabia get free passage to Canada with no visa requirement? Did you know that? Hmm. No Canada can, Canadian can go to Saudi Arabia. Every Saudi can come to Canada. What sort of concubines have we become that just because a country has citizens have lots of money, we say, we're open to you, but bring in a PhD in postdoctoral work from India, well, we'll keep you in the pen for 30 days until we check out whether you're right or wrong. Tarek Fata, I praise your bravery, and I thank you very much for appearing on Just Right today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take care. It's been great. And we've got to go for another week ourselves as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you next week. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be on. We got into an argument with a Pakistani kid one day. Because I said, he was in the audience, I went, Hey, a brown guy, are you Indian? No, I'm from Pakistan. <laughs> you think they know the difference? Yeah. I'm from Pakistan. Don't insult me. Don't come me. We were once one country anyway, you know. Now Pakistan's just like the Quebec of Asia, you know. <laughs> we want to separate. Damn it, we will. That's one uh, definite death threat I can pr predict now. <laughs> you made fun of us. <laughs>